Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome back to an episode of Theo Social. I am your host, Elizabeth Escobar. Theo Social is the place where theology meets sociology. So we are continuing our brand new series titled Sabbath Chronicles. If you have not heard part one, I encourage you to hear it. I promise it's no more than 20 minutes, so you can do it while Maybe you're doing your workout or cleaning or whatever it is that you're doing in your quarantine time. I think it'll just it fit perfectly in there, or I hope it does. But um, wanted to say once again, thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who has been tuning in, listening, um, giving your support, uh, sharing with friends and family members. Really, truly appreciate um, just being able to not only grow audience, but uh, I feel like it's an extension of family. So thank you for being a part of the Theo Social family. Um, so we're going to get right back into our passage. So uh, this past uh, part one of our Sabbath Chronicles. So I think before we dive in, uh, let, I was when I was preparing the last part, I was like, you know, I should probably define why we are, uh, or why I decided to title it, uh, Sabbath Chronicles. I think I touched on it a little bit in the previous episode, but what does Sabbath mean, right? So Sabbath is rest. And I love, my husband and I were discussing this last week a little bit uh, during our times of devotion. And I was reminded of, uh, the Hebrew and just like the Jewish culture of just what Sabbath really means to them. And it is a time of delight. And so when they take their Sabbath rest, when they have that set time apart, which typically in um, the Jewish religion, they observe um, their Sabbath on a Saturday or, you know, from uh, from a Friday to Saturday type Um they just do all, it's not like this list of these, these things that I can't do, but it's everything that they're able to dive into. Like, wow, we are able to finally enjoy this dessert or finally enjoy this activity that I'm just, I, I have such a great time in. So it's, it's stopping things that are stressing you out, that are really not being life-giving. And diving into things that are going to eventually give you life or be life-giving again. Whether it's immediate or whether there's a, a bit of a long-term, you know, like there will be fruit of it later on. So, for example, seeing fruit later on would be something like working out. I have, in this quarantine time, uh, started working out, uh, which was very long overdue, but... Um, even, I mean, I haven't really seen, you know, uh, uh, weight being lost. Uh, that's not really, um, I wasn't expecting that to happen immediate. But the immediate result that I have seen is um, energy and um, just this boost of like, just overall feeling well, like endorphins and a motivation to want to do other things. I mean, yeah, on the flip side, I, I do feel tired sometimes or like I wake up and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't move my leg. I'm so sore. <laughs> so, I mean, there's there's good and bad, but, you know, there's going to be a long-term 
reward, right? And so that's really what Sabbath is. And so I really thought it was appropriate to title, rather than calling it the Quarantine Chronicles, really calling this the Sabbath Chronicles, because I really do believe that for those of us that um, we are uh, sheltering at home, staying in place, staying put, God wants to speak to us and God wants to kind of like silence us a little bit so that his voice can be the loudest one that he hears. And um, yeah, so with that being said, let's go back into uh, John chapter 11. So where we left off, let's see. So point number five. So we had four points that we covered last time. So we talked about... um, uh, Jesus's first miracle, and then his last being Lazarus um, being risen f- uh, from the tomb, which is the passage that we are reading right now, and the significance to it propelling Jesus into going towards the cross. Uh, uh, the second point, which was something very brief, but a fun fact, this is the one miracle that is only mentioned in the book of John. Very fascinating, but thought I'd share. Um, Third point, uh, Jesus' delay. So he is very much tied to the timing of the Father. So he doesn't move. So his, um, one of Jose's cousins, I love what she said one time. She said that the college students that she was working with, she that they would tell them, like, your rush is not my rush. And I think that that's really like a message that God sends us all the time. You know, we can come to prayer and just be like, Lord, I need a miracle now. And he's like, okay, I hear you, but I'm going to do things in my timing, not yours. And that can be a hard pill to swallow, you know, and even for Jesus's uh, disciples, they really many times were out of sync with Jesus's um, way of doing ministry. They just, you know, they're wanting like, hey, let's go this way, Jesus. And he's like, nah, let's go fish or, you know, let's go take a nap. Or let's just go hang out, just us, not go to the crowd. And they're just like perplexed. Like, wait, what? You don't want to go to the crowd? Like, people are chanting your name and you don't want that affirmation? And he's like, no, let's go be with the Father. So Jesus was not really into, um, you know, he didn't need his name in billboards and that type of thing. He didn't need that type of a recognition. His identity was 100% rooted in the Father. And because of that, he didn't rush ahead. He didn't lag behind. He was in step with God's timing, which is cru- crucial, crucial. And even something that I think speaks more volumes today because of um, these really, um, these emergency crisis season that, that we're living in. Um, okay, and then the last point that we touched on was, what do I have here? So Jesus was very discerning of the time, right? May we be a people who can distinguish the two and intersect in both spaces such as he did. Um, it, yeah, it, it, this is just, we need to be a people um, that when, we need to be the type of believers that when other people look at us, they can identify that, oh, they move with God. Like, that there's a distinctive placed over us because of that. 
Not that, oh, well, you know, she's just full of anxiety or, oh, she's just full of haste or stress or, you know, you fill in the blank. Doesn't mean that we can't experience moments of those things. We all have those moments, but may they be moments and not lifestyle. May we be people that are identified as having a lifestyle that is set on the pace of the Father. And that we can live in that tension of the here and not yet, right? That we we know that, yes, we may be earthly bound and we may be experiencing these physical earthly trials, but I'm still hoping I have a heavenly hope, an upward, you know, facing um, the crown of Christ and just who he is and his promises and what his word says for me today. So I think that was um, really a lot of what we covered. If you wanted to go back more in detail, go to part one. So we are going to go into our next point, which is from verses 11. Did we talk about that? I feel like we did. No, we didn't. Yeah, we did. Oh, wow. Yeah, we did. Yep, we did. Moving on. All right. So the next point is verses 33. So I'm going to read it. So in verse 33, it says, When Jesus saw her weeping, her being Mary, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So my notes that I have here say, um, Jesus participated in Jewish grief. Jewish grief, however, was not only triggered by the sister's bereavement, but by the people's lack of unbelief. So... Something that set Jesus apart as a teacher, as a rabbi of the day. So he wasn't your typical teacher of the law. He wasn't your typical rabbi. He didn't go through the customary schooling and um, the religious ceremonial um, uh, ways of becoming a rabbi. You know, he just, number one, he was divine, right? I mean, hello, he's the son of God. Uh, He is the ultimate Messiah. Um, So he had just this divine (laughs) being of who he was. Yes, he was an earthly human being, but he's already the son of God (laughs) before anything, right? So he already has that distinctive over him. But in having that distinctive, he didn't... um, So Jesus walked in a lot of knowledge. Jesus walked in a lot of wisdom, which is something that you see um, and you read about in um, just what a religious leader, a rabbi would typically be. They would be full of a lot of wisdom and knowledge and and just giving the people um, sound advice and being a listening ear, a great support during times of need, such as um, a, a death in the family, a funeral, right? 
And I think for most part, at least from what I was gathering from reading, um, just studying uh, different commentaries, was that they, they could be very proper, just kind of like, you know, like the uh, the ceremonial, uh, respectful, um, religious leader, right? But Jesus in this moment, he leaned towards his human and not only his human side, but he pressed in towards the cultural aspect of what was customary. And it was to sit and not only sit, but like really like be in the moment with the person full of grief. Like, he was overcome, like he literally wept. He was just like as such, as brokenhearted as she was. And not only did he feel this like heartbreak because these two sisters are like heartbroken that they just lost their brother, but he was also heartbroken because this was his friend, somebody who he considered a near and dear friend to him. And secondly, because there was, I think there was a level two of just, I mean, scripture tells us this, that God is near to those who are brokenhearted. And, you know, God doesn't look down at us when we're experiencing difficult times, especially in something like this pandemic. And he isn't just kind of like, well, too bad, you know, like you guys just have to deal with it. Like he, his heart really breaks for us. His heart is, I think, out of everyone's breaking the most because this is his creation. It's like, it's like a parent love type of, of situation, right? Like if, I mean, there's been times um, in recent past where like my son, he's had, um, he's had quite a battle this past year with asthma. Um, it started with pneumonia and then just different breathing treatments and all kinds of things we had to like go through with him. And I would absolutely in a heartbeat, like give me the the asthma. I'll deal with it. I, I don't, I don't want him like give him the complete health. I will take it on. And that was really what was happening in this moment is that Jesus was, uh, just sitting in, in this earthly experience, which was to sit and grieve with a friend a family member and not and I think that that's that symbolizes and that tells us something that like I said that God is near to the brokenhearted but not only that he wants to sit and to console us you know he doesn't like many times I think you know we touched on this in the previous episode that we want to rush to the miracle right like Jesus heal me now you know give me the financial breakthrough now in the name of Jesus right now you know and we are skipping over steps we are skipping over what God can do in um the moments of grief in the moments of silence in the moments of maybe doubt and questions they're not bad moments there are moments where um, it creates intimacy, you know, because you just don't bawl your eyes out to anybody, right? You just don't uh, break down in front of anybody. And the fact that Mary was able to do this in front of Jesus, that she felt comfortable enough to do this in public, mind you, because when she ran out of her home to see Jesus, 
there's all these mourners, you know, the town that came out to support her during this grieving time. They all came out of the house like, wait, where is she going? And they go to see that she rushes to Jesus' feet. And in going to Jesus' feet, they see like, whoa, she just broke down in front of him. Like, wow, like that's that's vulnerability right there. You know, but there is, it just, it, it signifies to us that God cherishes our vulnerability. And he cherishes those deep wounds, those heartaches, those hurts, that pain that we maybe are not really comfortable diving into or, or really giving it to anybody. But God is a God that is gentle. He's tender. And he knows how to deal with those hurts and those wounds. And before he wants to just like, bam, heal it, the road to healing, it requires consoling. It requires like that embrace. It requires that bringing you in, you know, to just let it out, cry it out. You know, like I'm right here. If you need to cry it out, like I'm going to be right here and I'm going to sit with you and I'm going to cry with you. Um, so I think that that's such a beautiful depiction of the personal type of God that we serve, right? And secondly, with this point, um, is that there was, um, well, yes, he was experiencing this sadness because of the death of Lazarus, but there was also like this rise of anger that happened within him because the verse uh the text here in 33 it says that he was his spirit was troubled and in the commentary notes it tells us that by him being troubled it's because like i mentioned there was a crowd of people that were already emerging and if you if we go down in 37 there's already individuals that they were questioning jesus's credibility, his legitimacy as a true healer, as a true um, teacher of the word, right? They're just kind of like, why, you know, he healed this person over here. Couldn't he have done it in a more timely fashion? Like they're questioning his timing. They're questioning the way that he does miracles. Um, It just, it turned from we're here for this family to a critique, to, you know, the side comment section on social media platforms, like just trolling, right? And it's just like, wow, what happened? How did this become like this drama scene? And that really bothered Jesus because this has been really something that Jesus had been encountering since day one in his ministry, being questioned left and right. There was just so much unbelief. I mean, there's many instances, there was an instance where early on in his ministry when Jesus was like, you know, I can't perform any miracles here in my hometown because there is so much disbelief. The disbelief is that thick that it prohibits Jesus from moving. But in this instance, this, this miracle was so profound, but even as profound as it was, yes, there was those that believed and they were moved to believe in Jesus, but chapters later, we see that these very groups of these very individuals end up turning on Jesus and chanting to crucify him. So it's interesting how there are people that are temporal in in their belief. You know that there's those that have unwavering belief, 
And there's those that are just in the moment, you know, and I think that God is using not just he used this moment in the life of Mary and Martha to teach them about having a a steadfast faith. But that's something that he is teaching us today, you know, to be rooted, to keep standing. Like I was listening earlier today on the gospel uh, station, uh, Donnie McClurkin's McClurkin's song, to just stand, right? To just, after you've done all the things you need to do, you've prayed, you have raised your hands, you've believed in the face of fear, and what's left? You just stand. You just stand and you hope against hope, right? And I think that was really something that Jesus was trying to teach everybody, even though it turned out that there was going to be those that they may believe for a second. And then two days later, they'll turn their back. They'll turn, um, they'll turn around and become unbelievers. But he was sim like, himself his demeanor was teaching others to have a steadfast faith a steadfast faith faith (laughs) in the faith in the face of unbelief because there's gonna be all always always there will be naysayers all around us even in moments of crisis but knowing how to continue to be vulnerable continue to be real and honest and supernatural for that matter still function in the supernatural while in the face of disbelief, in the face of doubters. And um, it looks like we're going to have to have a part three because there's still more to this. So keep tuning in. Uh, Thank you for uh, listening this far. And um, please make sure to subscribe to my podcast. Share Theo Social with somebody that you love. And uh, we will be meeting again soon. Thanks again.